Well, hello and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Vorst, and I'm your host for the show and one of the pastors at Life Church. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we are picking back up on our series called Galatians, where we've been looking at the letter to the Galatians written by Paul. And we are just now moving into chapter two, and you're going to hear a sermon today from uh, Pastor Nathan. And uh, he's going to go into a little bit more of um, sort of the controversy that's that's happening uh, between Peter and the Galatians and what Paul is actually asking them to do. Um, and so I, I want to really encourage you to, to listen to this whole thing because I think uh, we think about these things sometimes as though they're, you know, they happened in the ancient world, that they're weird, that they're uh, hard for us to imagine. But actually, the more you dig into um, sort of how these churches are operating in the first century, it, it's not all that different from how we uh, understand churches today and unity and uh, being um, in alignment in the gospel. And so really listen in and see what God is teaching us today. Also, um, if you haven't subscribed, you can do that. And if you would like to give to Life Church and, uh, and make an impact into the work that we get to be a part of, I want to encourage you to do that as well. Now, enjoy the sermon. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors. And uh, just to talk about the big pink elephant in the room, as Pastor Daniel used to say, uh, you know, we're, we're changing our mask uh, policy. And I just want to thank everyone in advance for being here but or being here online and for the way that you are going to be respectful and loving to the people around you that makes this so much easier. So thank you for that. We are in a series called Galatians, and we did a whole chapter, and then we had a baptism Sunday, and then we had a table talk and a special Sunday, and now we're getting back into Galatians. And the reason why we're doing this is because we want you to be in the Word of God. We want you to spend time in the Word of God. We don't want to work hard and just put a message out and then you consume it and never go and check what we say or do that for yourself. Working through the Word of God is transformational to you, and we want to partner with you in that. So we're going to be spending time in Galatians so that we plumb the depths of what God is saying. It's a really unique letter. But before I move on, I want you to know that as a church, we have resources in case you want to dive into this because it can be hard. You know, personally, if I could recommend to you, um, I would recommend to you doing book studies, not devotionals. I mean, devotionals are fine and good, but if you have to pick between the two, do a book study. And that can be challenging and hard. So right now, media on our webpage, you can sign up for a free gift. All you sign up and you get your account. It's like the Netflix of Bible studies, and there are tons that just go through the Word of God. So I encourage you to do that and to dive in. Now, it's been a minute, so if you don't remember what happened in chapter one, that's okay. You can always go back and check those out, and they're pretty incredible. But I want you to know what's happening. Paul plants a church in Galatia where they're Gentiles, non-Jewish people, just like most of us. And the church was quickly infiltrated by people from Jerusalem who were Jewish, and they were called Judaizers. And what does that mean? It's just a fancy term for they wanted to take the Gentile Christians and say, no, 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 mm, you're not really a Christian until you first become Jewish and do what the Jewish people do. 
And Galatians is all about preserving the freedom of the gospel and the grace of the gospel, about preserving it. And Paul's writing to them to say, whoa, 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 why are you turning to this? Now, what's grace? It's the love and mercy given to us by God because God desires us to have it through Jesus, not because we've earned it. Grace is getting what we could never deserve, which is earning the favor of God. And he's saying, hey, when you go back and listen to these Judaizers, you are actually stepping in out of grace and into something else. They were subverting the gospel. And we learned that we subvert the gospel as well, which means we undercut it. And it's not actually good news anymore when we create boundaries to belonging, like you've got to look a certain way. That's why you've already heard us say you belong, about removing boundaries so that you can hear the grace of God and the truth of the word. Now, the Judaizers, specifically, there was one issue, and you'll hear it. Uh, It's called circumcision or uncircumcision. That's what they're saying is those who are Jewish, the males were circumcised, and those who were not were uncircumcised. So you'll see that. Now, now, circumcision, you know, we've been in Galatians. You should know at this point, um, but if you haven't heard, circumcision is when they cut the uh, skin off uh, of the males so that they show that they're dedicated to God. And the Judaizers were saying, hey, you know, you need to do this to be a good Christian. I mean, can you imagine if that had continued to this day? Can you imagine every, every Sunday we get up here and we invite people to follow Jesus? Uh, can you imagine, like, having, like, one of those Red Cross-type medical semis out in the back and say, okay, you accepted Jesus, great, let's go out to the circumcision truck and make this official. I can't. That's weird. Like, it's awkward and odd. Um, and Paul, Paul rebuked this church for listening to them, rebuked them, painfully so. And it was fiery, and it was aggressive, and that continues to go on through the entire time, but was because he experienced fierce grace. Paul persecuted the church, and so for grace for him meant something incredible, And it was powerful. And without it, Paul was lost. And all of us would be lost. So he's like, don't go back to this religion. Stay in this grace-filled relationship. Galatian church turned so shortly that Paul said, I am shocked that you're turning away so soon. They were tricked by very persuasive individuals. And we live in a reality where others are twisting the truth. And while the Gentiles of the day had been tricked into adopting Jewish practices like circumcision, we were tricked into accepting a different gospel as well. We talked about this a bit in Jared's message, but it's this idea of moralistic therapeutic deism a terminology that was created as they studied the product of the church over the last decades, which is our young people, and asking them what they truly believed. And from that, they came up with this moralistic, therapeutic deism. So there are three different parts. But the basic tenets of what a lot of people have been raised to believe about Christianity from our churches, from what we have done is this. A God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. 
God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. And finally, good people go to heaven when they die. This is one of the predominant ways that people view Christianity, moralistic therapeutic deism. I want to say right away, in case you didn't recognize it going into it, this is not Christianity, and this is not good news. This is something that is, has the face of Christianity, but lacks the power and the grace and the mercy and the salvation of God. Instead of following the good news of Jesus, we've adopted the religion, the religion of moralistic therapeutic deism. I can think of no better way to be reminded of what grace looks like than Paul. And Paul would take this as he has taken the Judaizers and said, this is not what we have followed. And we ended chapter uh, 1 with verse 24. I believe it's 24 in my head. I'm playing it back. But it said this, they praised God because of me. What he's saying is Paul was so lost, but when people saw how transformed he was and how changed he was, they worshiped God. And that's our goal, to be driven by new life, to do that. And we watched 13 people get baptized as they celebrated their own stories of the goodness of God. It, it was good, yeah. And some of you got baptized. It was powerful. And that's what we're all about. You guys feel like, okay, I remember that. I remembered a lot of that. You feel good. You feel ready to jump into this. Everyone ready? Yeah? Anyone? Okay, good. Thank you. We covered a lot of ground. Go back and check it out. Well, let's dive back in. And Paul is continuing to defend his apostleship and the gospel he'd been preaching for 14 years. So chapter 2, here we go, Galatians 2, 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. You always go up to Jerusalem, by the way, no matter if it's south of you, whatever. You go up to Jerusalem, little known fact. This time with Barnabas, and I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented them to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my, ra my race in vain. I bolded response to a revelation because I think that's the purpose of what we're going to talk about today. What was this revelation? And though it isn't explicit in the scripture what this revelation was, I think it is the key. Paul received a revelation. Paul was very serious when he said this word, revelation. He inferred that it wasn't something that, Eureka, I found something in my mind that's important. No, it was something received by the Holy Spirit, by Jesus. He was very careful whenever he spoke about revelations. And this revelation drove him to go and speak to all the Jewish people. These were the disciples, the 11 who walked with Jesus. Paul met Jesus in the road to Damascus and been doing ministry for 14 years. And now he's going back. Why? Because of this revelation. Paul had great success in ministry. Not many people could say that he had planted as many churches as Paul. Things were happening. Miracles were happening outside of the Jewish faith, outside of Jerusalem, outside of the very people who walked with Jesus. The Holy Spirit was moving, and yet he had a revelation. And he knew that if he didn't go and speak to the Jewish, uh, to the Jewish leaders, Paul, Paul and James and John, 
If he didn't talk to them, then he could potentially be putting at risk all of the ministry that he had been talking about. That's why I was saying I was not running or running my race in vain. This is what I believe through study of scriptures and other scholars that this revelation was. See, he had a great ministry and everything was going wonderfully, but he received something, and I think it was this. Jesus wanted to unite his whole body to reach the whole world, and he wanted to overcome the differences between the two of them. He wanted to use the Jewish people and the Gentile people to meet the whole world together, and so this rift this rift that had begun in a group of people from Jerusalem that came over, he was not going to let that stand because he believed God had called him to do that. Paul fought for unity. He was direct, and he went out of his way to speak to the leadership of the Jerusalem church. This wasn't just hop in a car and go across town. This was a trip. It took time, and there was stuff on the line because he was worried that he was preaching the wrong thing, a gospel that didn't include circumcision? No, because he knew God had bigger plans than even just his ministry, that the mission to the Gentiles required the Jewish leadership, and the mission to the Jewish uh, people required Gentile leadership as well. And Paul was obedient to the revelation and to the burden that God had placed on his heart. But he did so with wisdom. I'm going to open it back up to Galatians 2.2, and it says something like this. I had something important to say and discuss, so I made a huge Facebook post and tagged Barnabas and Titus and the church as well. I also went on Twitter and tweeted them and called them out on their crap with the hashtag circumcision conspiracy, circumcision tips, false gospel, and Yeshua, not yarmulkes. Right? Because they were doing something wrong. They were infiltrating his church. They threatened him. So they went on Facebook and social media, right? No, he went to them privately. He leveraged relationship. He removed potential distractions. The message is a paraphrase of the Bible, and some of you have read it. It's not a word for word, but a paraphrase. And in this very verse, I love how they say it. He said that we went privately so that our concern would not become a controversial public issue marred by ethnic tensions, exposing my years of work to denigration and endangering my present mission. He had a burden, and many of us have burdens, and it's to us to go to leadership, but he did it with wisdom. He brought Barnabas along, who was from Jerusalem, but went to the Gentiles as a bridge in between, and then he brought Titus, someone who was uncircumcised, with him and said, hey, let's talk about what God is doing in the Gentiles. Great wisdom, and I think great humility, although he's writing pretty aggressively here, it shows wisdom. And when we address issues with other churches, with other believers in the faith and other leaders, we should do so with wisdom and grace, acknowledging that it's because of what Jesus is doing in the world that, that we can be united together. This is a good lesson for us to do. It doesn't mean we don't go. It just means we have to learn how to do that. Let's go back to verse 3. Yet, not even Titus, who was uncircumcised, not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. Titus was not asked by the leaders of the church to be circumcised. The Judaizers perhaps were overblowing with the Galatian church the 
pressing need that Jerusalem, maybe they were even lying about what Jerusalem felt. They didn't even talk about it. It wasn't even something that came up until verse 4. This matter arose because some false believers, that's a strong term, false believers. He's serious about Galatians, had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. Judaizers continued to come in and try to force Titus to get circumcised, saying you have to be a good Jew before you can be a good Christian. They snuck in to make you a slave, a slave to their religion. Now, slaves aren't just hampered by not being free. They also are used for the benefit of those who own them. And there was an agenda there. The Judaizers wanted to make you a slave, and they snuck in. I'm going to go back to that moralistic, therapeutic deism for a moment because I believe it's snuck into our churches to make us slaves to a religion and keep us from our relationship with God or to help us or to to get us to think that we have relationship with God when instead we've adopted that way. Moralistic, right? Morals. Be a good person and it will work out for you. That might be something we teach at some point to our detriment. If you're good, then things will work out. Let me ask you a question. What is your answer to the question, why will you go to heaven? What's the answer to that question? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Oh, because I'm a good person. If that came up first, you've missed that it's only by grace, something you could never deserve, that you are saved. Some moralistic therapeutic deism, MTD, might have snuck in a little bit. You see, some of us think that God wants us to be good. That's not God's main goal for us to be good. Being good is a byproduct of the grace that we have been given. God wants us to worship him in spirit and truth and have relationship with him. And without the grace of Jesus Christ, we could never do that. Ask these questions. Have I fallen into, if I do things good enough, I will get from God. If I'm good enough, I will get that husband. If I'm good enough, I will get that car. If I'm good enough. I mean, it it sounds ridiculous you saying if you're good and do what God wants you, he'll give you a Maserati, right? That sounds ridiculous. But do we do it in very subtle ways? And forget verses like, I died on myself daily. God wants us to experience grace. Well, maybe it's therapeutic, right? This one, I think, is real subtle. God wants you to have a comfortable life. That's what MTD says. God wants you to have a comfortable life, and if you don't, it's because you weren't good enough or you didn't do something right. If it is hard, if life is hard, and it being hard won't result in someday something good, like a blessing. Like, if you work hard and save enough money, you'll have something nice someday. If life is hard, if your relationship with God and with the church and with others is hard, and it isn't going to result in something good, then it's wrong, or something's wrong, or you're getting gypped out of your end of the deal, then you might be ascribing to this. Following Jesus will be hard. It will be challenging. Ask ask the Chinese church, the Iranian church right now, if they have a comfortable life. They don't. And yet, their dedication to God can't be denied. What about us? 
Ask every single disciple of Jesus who every single one of them was tortured and almost all of them absolutely killed and murdered. I mean, did they have a comfortable life? Was Christianity easy, therapeutic? And then deism. Man, we have been given a gift to be close to God, our Father, because of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, to know him, to walk with him, to experience him. And yet, in deism says he's far off and far away. He's only needed when a problem needs to be resolved. God is not important to the way you think every day. God is far away. And yet, he's not. For those of us who follow and seek him, he's incredibly close. Though he may not feel it, he is close and involved. Have we taken on deism by saying, okay, I'm saved, good to go. I don't think about God much. Galatians 2, 5. How does he respond? We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. This revelation which caused them to go didn't mean that they held back. They dived in. This revelation was crucial for the church to continue. And yet the Galatians, they threw it away. He's telling them like, we fought for you. We fought for you. It could have ruined everything. I could have been called out. They could have used their influence and said, no, Paul, we're going to strip everything away from you. I threw it all on the line for you. And you walked away from it? You walked right back into this slavery? There's got to be a moment where he's like, man, I paid a price for you. Why are you walking away from this? This price is hard. Following God is hard, and that's the price this church has paid. Us, we've paid a price for our views on diversity and discipleship and racial reconciliation and justice. We're not going to throw it away because it got hard. We're not going to forget what we've paid so far. We're not going to seek out comfort. We're not going to seek out these things because we have been given a revelation from God in his word, the gospel. The gospel is to the poor and the powerless. It's the lost and the lonely. It's a gospel of love and reconciliation, of grace and of power. It's for our children that we will sacrifice comfort so that they will stand firm in the faith. I shared just a couple weeks ago uh, with our partners that we are going to see our next generation grow up understanding that one-on-one discipleship is the way to follow Jesus. They're going to go to other churches someday and be like, wait, you don't have someone meant discipling you and you're not discipling someone else? Man, what are you doing? Like Matthew 28, go and make disciples. What are, we, what are you doing? We're going to see that happen. And for those who are shouting, and I'm going to say something controversial right now. This is hard, okay? So I acknowledge that this is difficult, and it may poke you. Let it. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you and spend some time in the Word. But for those shouting, I can't breathe and I'm scared, we will stand with them. We'll stand with those who are in the fire. We'll stand and be Jesus with them. The gospels for the unborn, for the hungry, for the powerless, the lonely. It's for all of them. We'll do it with love. We're called to, to be the good news and to say everyone has value. I want to tell you two stories. Oh, you can clap. That's all right. 
There was a little girl in Idaho. She was a sixth grade girl, and this was in the last week. And she brought a gun to school, and she started shooting people. She shot three people. And uh, Katie Knighting, who is a teacher at that school, was confronted and ended up right next to the girl. After she had sent her class out in safety, she saw this little girl, and she saw the janitor who she had just shot on the floor and doesn't know if she's dead or not. But she said she saw this little girl holding this gun. And she started to speak to her in calm tones. And she gave this interview and she said this. This is what I thought in the moment. This little girl has a mom out there. And she doesn't realize she's having a breakdown. And she doesn't realize that she is hurting people. And this brave woman slowly walked up to her, said comforting words, slid the hand and took the gun, set it aside, and then hugged the little girl to her chest and spoke to her. Eventually, the cops came, and the police officer was kind and gentle and said, hey, we're going to put handcuffs on you, and took her away. We don't know the end of the story, but this woman kept loving her and saw her as a scared little girl. Now I'm going to tell you a different story. It's about Ronald Green, a 49-year-old man, a man who led the police on a high-speed chase and stopped, and he gave up. And then, it was just released, this happened in 2019, he was beaten, tasered, shackled, hands and foot, and then dragged on by his ankles and laid on his chest for nine minutes. And as he tried to roll to his side, the cops pushed into his back. And he died. His family was told he would have died in the car crash. And in 2019, after reviewing the body cam uh, footage, the investigator at the time said, this is awful but lawful. He lay prone, and as he was there, he screamed out, I'm scared, and oh, Lord Jesus. The officers, as he was dying, were taking sanitizer wipes and wiping blood off their hands and saying, hope this effort doesn't have AIDS. They couldn't see the human. I just want to punish him. And then I think about Paul, who stood while Stephen was beat with rocks and who threw rocks himself, and at some point he probably had blood spatter on him. And yet, he received grace from God. And that is what fueled him to write and to love, that God's grace was for every single person I just mentioned, for the little girl and the 49-year-old man and the cops and every person I just mentioned. God's grace covers them if they reach out for him. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
The good news is for every one of us. Grace for every one of them, every single one. But we will not give in even for a moment standing for the value of life and in people. My question is, what price are we willing to pay? What price have you paid for the gospel? Maybe you answer that online or for yourself. What are we willing to do? What are we willing to risk to be actual good news? I'm proud of those who fought through, who've pushed in, who don't push away from the table when we say and talk about difficult things like this, who are willing to say, man, that is, I don't know what to do with that, but I know that my God is good and I'm going to push in. Just like these leaders did, the Jewish and Gentile leaders, they pushed in. We don't give up on people within the church and those who left the church and those outside the church and those who hate the church. We don't give up on anyone. We don't give up on having hard conversations. We don't rest on pride, but seek out others to talk through it together. And I'm grateful for every person who's come to talk about these hard things with me. Why, why, why would we do this? Why would Paul do this? Because the call of Jesus motivated him. Only zeal for the Lord would cause Paul to do this, willing to do hard things. Is our passion for Christ and for this grace that we have received that Paul lived with every single day of his life, is that strong enough for us to risk everything for those who need hope? Is it strong enough to have hard conversations and challenging things? Look, I believe that, that God is going to continue to call us to do really hard things. That may not look like super wise to everybody else, but we are compelled by what God has called us to do. I don't know what would have happened if Paul didn't go. It could have created a schism that threatened not only the Gentile mission, but also the Jewish Christians. Because what I knew about the Jewish people from the entire Old Testament is they returned to their old ways. So maybe without the Gentiles showing up and saying, no, 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 it's about freedom, they would have gone back into the sacrificial system slowly over time. I don't know. But I know that Jesus called them to speak, and so they must. And we must as well. Let me look at verse 6 and 9 as we draw close. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. He's saying that right there because he doesn't want people to think like he's influenced by that, not to denigrate them. They added nothing to my message, meaning there was nothing else to say, grace and freedom. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. They elevated Paul even higher and said, no, God has given you a call. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, that's James, Peter, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, embraced them when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that, agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Unity in the church resulted. Unity. We need each other to fight the heresy of the day, whether it's moralistic therapeutic deism or some of the other things, we need to have these hard conversations. We need to love each other well through it. 
they only added one thing, and I want to close with this as our action step because this is the passage and what it says. They only add one thing, verse 10. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I'd been eager to do all along. What's going on here? Well, the Jewish church was called the Ebionites later, which means the poor. They referred to themselves to the poor. What they're saying is poor in spirit, but also poor in, in the sense of not having enough money. What, what happened over and over and over again is that there was this continual sharing of resources. There was a, 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 a famine a drought, and Paul organized relief from the Gentile churches to the Jerusalem churches, and there was this interaction between where they would give each other money to take care of each other. They would do that. This entire trip was to clear the way to create unity so that they could continue the mission. See, sometimes what happens is when we get into these theological places, we spend all of our time telling everybody else how they're heretical and not enough time bringing the good news to people. So what they ended with was, I don't add anything to it. You're empowered. God's with you. But please remember to care for the poor. Don't let your theological differences so absorb you that you become like the Judaizers and forget the good news that comes from grace and comes from being the healing and the hope of God physically as well as spiritually. The interesting thing, just, hey, okay, all of that, huge conflict, let's just remember to love those who need it the most, the poor and the powerless. Because of you and you give to the mission here, incredible things have happened. Because of you last year, we donated $88,000. And I don't want you to clap. I'm going to share some stuff, and I don't want you to clap, okay? I want, last year, we donated $88,000 to support the mission of the church here and locally and abroad. We planted 15 churches, including some in our own network, continuing to support Auburn Hills and a new plant in Riverside. Team World Vision raised $32,000 so kids could have clean water, and we'll be launching that again real soon, so take a look, and maybe you're going to do some running yourself. We've had special projects for single parents and others in need, and we created 100 hygiene kits. Uh, just a couple small groups did it, just got excited about it for the homeless in our area. We've done that, and when we give, and that's my action step, to give to the mission here and beyond to other places, when we do this, incredible things happen, and the mission of God goes out, and the good news is shows up not just spiritually, which is extremely important, but also physically as well. We love people well. And if you give to the mission, we're going to blow those numbers out of the water because that's what God has called us to do. And though we've been through a year of incredible theological and political turmoil in our church, it didn't stop what God was going to do. And now that we've moved through that in maturity and humility and making mistakes, now God can use us in even greater ways. And I'm inviting you to be part of that, to be part of that mission. I want to end with this story. Uh, Francis Chan is someone that I really respect a lot. He keeps trying to give away fame, and it keeps getting thrust on him, and his stories are incredible. He's done everything you can possibly imagine, going to China and all these different things. But when I first saw him was a long time ago in college, and he had this video. It was on this circular disc called a DVD. Some of you, it's four by three. And he had this awesome, like, camera shot that was like, whoa. And he had, like, he was walking down in California, and he was walking down to the beach, and he was telling this story. 
He says, yeah, one morning I got up, and yeah, if you know Francis Chan, he gets real excited, and he has really long fingers. He's like, ah, you know, but anyways, he was telling this story, and he's like, you know, I wanted to spend time with God. I wanted to spend time with him. And so I went to Starbucks, and I got my latte, and I went down early in the morning to the beach, and the sun was coming up, and I went down to the beach, and I sat down, and the waves were coming in, and the breeze was there, and seagulls, and it was gorgeous and beautiful, and I'm holding my coffee. And I said, God, what do you have to say to me? What do you want me to do? And he said, I heard clearly from God in that moment. I have already told you what to do. Take care of the poor. Why would I tell you anything else when you haven't done that? And Francis's life, if you've seen it, has been about taking care of the poor and about the gospel above all things. And I think that those are the moments we need to be reminded of. In fact, the Babylon Bee, which is a satire, wrote an article about Francis Chan. And he said, Francis Chan has an emotional breakdown because he has given away all of his earthly possessions and can't give away any more. And he's like, no, I have nothing else to give except the clothes on his back, right? Would it be that we remember the poor, that we take care of people in a way that does that? So here's my action step. I want you to give to the mission of what God's doing here. And if you don't do it here, you need to do it somewhere else as well. I don't care where you do it. Be part of what God is doing. Listen to what the Jewish leaders, Peter, who experienced grace as well, said, just take care of the poor. So I want to pray. And I want to do something that we don't normally do, which is bless the offering. Pray for it, that God would multiply it, not just in numbers, but that it would make a greater impact than ever before. Before I do that and pray, you can give online. You can give at the boxes on the way out. I encourage you to set up and make it a habit of recurring giving uh, through your checking account or whatever you need to do. Make it a discipline to be part of what God is doing in the world. And uh, it, it'll be something that changes your perspective. But what I'd love for you to do is actually, let's, let's stand for the blessing. Let's stand here. For those of you who've never experienced this before, play, praying for the offering isn't to pray to get people to give. It's pray to honor what God has uh, been given. And so if you give for the very first time, I'll pray for that. And if you've been faithful for years, I'll pray for that. I want to pray for what God has given through sacrifice. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you how it challenges us. And thank you that we get to be part of the mission. That you allow us to participate, both financially but also with our lives, in the mission of restoring all to you. Good God, thank you. We pray for every dollar and cent given, that you would bless it and multiply it, that you would stretch it and you would do exactly what you want to do with it, that we would be submitted to you in this. God, we pray for the power of your presence to continue to go out into the world and to transform those who are hurting into those who are secure in their understanding of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, thanks again for listening to this sermon and for joining us on this podcast. Uh, we hope you have a great day today and that you are able to uh, connect with those in community and be able to be um, supportive of each other in the gospel and in the love of Christ. And this, if this is the first time you've heard one of our sermons or maybe, um, or maybe you've come back 
after a handful of times, uh, but you're not yet connected to our community, we would highly encourage you to do that. Best best thing for you to do is be going to our now page. It's lifechurchcampton.org slash now. And right at the top is a give button, but there's also a connect card button. Click on that, fill out a little bit of information about yourself, and then we can be in touch with you and help you take your next steps. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. We'll see you back here soon. Thank you.